to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm a senior media editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. So Kaylee, this week you spoke with Adam White, who is the founder and CEO of Front Office Sports. Front Office Sports has a branded content business like just about every publisher at this point, but it sounds like they have a different kind of branded content business. Is that right? Yeah. So they make about, I think it's like he says, like 99% of their revenue from advertising at this point, but they've gotten creative with how they are going about that um, business. So branded content, they've taken this like new approach in the past um, year or so now where they're doing these like online educational courses. It's their learning business. And they partner with a brand like um, Pepsi was one of them. Facebook has done one as well. And they do this like whole online education course that's completely branded, but they have enough editorial like pull over it that the end goal is to make it like a, a product that participants will want to actually complete and then get the badge of like, yeah, I finished this course um, to put on their LinkedIn. So they're taking this like, I think, elevated step to branded content. It's it's a very interesting approach because I know a lot of publishers have like online educational businesses, but they're not always branded. So it's it was an interesting business to learn about. Yeah, it's surprising. I'm curious, like what share of their ad revenue comes from that or like whether that's their biggest advertising revenue source or not? It's definitely something that they could charge a lot for, but um, newsletter ads are still the lion's share of their revenue, um, which Adam gets into. They, you know, started out really being very newsletter focused. So newsletters kind of dovetail with this branded content learning business um, because, you know, newsletters are one element of the course itself. But um, I think because so many of their media buys are attached to newsletters, that's just the primary part of that business. Kaylee, I'll let you take it away. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Adam, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Appreciate you having me on. Excited about it. So we've talked a bit about um, your business and in front office sports, how you've kind of developed that um, while you were pretty young. You were in college. Um, but your founder story is pretty interesting. So I think like to kick off this episode, it'd be great to just like for the listeners who aren't familiar with, you know, the creation of front office sports and and how you built it. Um, I guess share your, your founder story with us just so we have that background. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. So yeah, as you mentioned, started in college uh, in 2017 at the University of Miami. So I graduated in 2017 at the University of Miami. I started the business uh, while I was in school, actually, after I went through a class project. So freshman year, we were in a program that, you know, they're talking a lot about it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I you know believe it's a little bit of both nowadays. It's not you can't just get away with knowing people. And one of the projects was interviewing someone who worked in sports. And so I interviewed the athletic director at Miami. I sat down with him. We we put together a whole entire presentation. We presented it to the class and that was it. And that was 2013 going into 2014. So I had chatted with my professors and and then I was thinking about, well, if it's about who I know, how do I get to find, to do ways to know people more, like know more people? And it really all started with the idea of, well, wait a second, if I'm going to do one of these, well, why don't I do more of these? Why don't I publish them online? And so by the time I graduate in 2017, I have the opportunity to hopefully know enough people that I'm going to get a job. That was the whole origin of this. So it was, it was really focused on, on that. And so I went back home to Phoenix, where I'm from. 
over the summer was playing baseball and decided to start what was originally supposed to be called executive report and so funny. And I'm so glad we didn't call it that because I don't think it would have been the same and ended up, you know, changing it to front office sports, paid a buddy of mine $40 for our original logo, built the Wix website and we were off and running. And I like to joke with people that the early Wix website was what dark mode is now. Like dark mode is everyone has their stuff in dark mode and it's hard to like read stuff in light mode. And our original site was a black background with white text. And so I like to joke that I was uh, ahead of our time. And so, yes, yeah, so we started that. We did our first interview and, you know, ended up going back to, to school and kept doing the interviews, did 110 interviews. And at that time met the person who is, you know, really our co-founder, Russ, who still works on the business with me. I had posted in our group on Facebook that, hey, I'm doing this think it could be fun, don't really know what it can be, but if there's anyone who wants to help out, let me know. And Russ was really the only person who ever responded, and here we are seven years later still working on it together, which has been great. And so, yeah, that's how it all started. We did 110 informational interviews the first year, and then we just started building on it uh, from there. Uh, ended up graduating in 2017, thought I was going to get a job in the industry, went through 12 rounds of interviews with a, with a sports property, ended up not getting the job. And so I was like, well, wait a second, I have this this nascent site uh, that I've done some good work with and then maybe we could do it and go all in. And so ended up going, you know, all in was doing the whole entrepreneur life. I was living in Miami still at the time, working as a TA in the program uh, that I had just graduated from during the day. And then I was serving tables and, and waiting in, in restaurants on nights and weekends. Uh, so I would work on the business probably uh, from, you know, depending on when I got off anywhere from 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. till probably like 2 a.m. And then I would get up in the morning and work at the, at the university. And then I would go back to the, to the restaurant and, and keep going from there. And so uh, it was it was great and it was a, a lot of fun and we put a lot of time and effort and energy into the product and um, you know just so happened to at one point in early 2018 I would say I listened to Jason Stein on the Digiday podcast of all things and I uh, then quote tweeted the tweet that he posted about it he uh then ended up following me. I shot him a DM. We started talking from early 2018 uh, until kind of the end of, of 2018. We we were talking back and forth. I went and met him in person in New York. He told me he was leaving laundry service and cycle at that time and that he was looking to start a family office. They invested in our business at the end of 2018. I moved from New York to, or I moved from Miami to New York in 2019 and we hired our first full-time employee and it's been uh, a crazy whirlwind since then. But that's uh that's kind of the background. Look at the Digiday podcast making connections. I know, I know. <laughs> that's so awesome. funny. It was it was great. Yeah. I um but I mean that that's awesome. And so I guess at this point you mentioned it was in twenty eighteen, I think, that you made your first hire. How big is your staff now? And and I guess are you all based in New York or are you kind of scattered around? Yeah, so we made our first hire full time in 2019. Uh, the team now is is closing in on 40. It, it is right around 40 at this point. Uh, everyone is remote. We're a remote first organization, which obviously has its advantages. Uh, we had an office space up until March of 2020, and haven't had one since, uh, which is which has been nice from a talent side of things. You know, we're we're spread out. I would say of the 40, probably 15 of them live in in and around the tri-state area here in in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. And they uh it's great. We have, you know, a team that's fully distributed. Um 
you know, obviously presents its own kind of challenges when you're working across different time zones and things like that, but we've been able to manage it pretty well. So up to 40 now and uh, fully remote and distributed, which has been uh, advantageous in a lot of different ways. Got it. And so we had had another, you know, founder with a, a similar story on, uh, I guess it was a couple months ago now, um, Daniela Pearson from um, the Newsette. And she had a similar story, but what she really kind of said in that episode is like, the first few years are very much a struggle. And you mentioned like having to wait tables and, and you know, working as a TA while continuing on building this product. At what point did you feel like, was it when you made the first hire or like, at what point did you feel like this could be your full-time job? This is now, you know, making money. Um, like if it, if it's hit profitability status, like at what point did you kind of feel like the training wheels were off maybe? Yeah. Yeah. That's it, a, it's a great question. I mean, there's a couple, I would say, benchmarks there. I think, you know, I really knew we had something. And it's funny because you talk about the first years being a little bit difficult. It was interesting because I always joke with people, if you want to do something crazy, start a media company with no audience, no no money, no experience, and, and no following and see what you can do. Somehow it's worked out for us because that's how we started it. But because of those constraints, I do firmly believe we are better off now than if we were to get, if we were to have gotten investment day one, right? Like if we were to gotten investment day one and trying to build the brand and the business, I think we would have done it completely differently. And so what was nice is, is I did so many informational interviews that I asked people what was missing in the market. And so as we once we got the money, we knew exactly what was missing in the market because I had talked to everyone for, you know, multiple years. I mean, we ended up I over the course of the first three years before we kind of shifted our focus to being more of a news organization, enterprise reporting type business, with newsletters obviously at the core of that. I probably did like 300 informational interviews. So we were able to kind of untap and unlock a lot of insights that I don't think we would have if we were just said, here's the money, let's figure it out day one. And so that was that was a really interesting unlock. And I always point, I always point to that. But I think, you know, we signed right before we got our first, right before we got the investment from Jason and, and SC. It was we had launched Rising 25. It was kind of like our version of Forbes 30 under 30. And somehow convinced Anheuser-Busch to be the presenting partner of it. And that at that moment, it was like, okay, well, if Anheuser-Busch is going to spend with us, I feel like we can find a way to get other people and brands to spend with us from an advertising standpoint. And so I would say that that was like one of the moments uh, we broke a pretty big story early on in 2019 of the um, Alliance of American Football going bankrupt. And like we had it clean and clear, like no one else had it. And that led to other reporters seeing us. And then, you know, that led to our first reporter hire because he was like, oh, I love what you guys are doing. And so I would say those two moments, like mid-2018, late 2018, when Anheuser-Busch signed, and then we, when we broke that story, I was like, okay, there, there is something here. And, and we have the opportunity to, to build a, a business that we think is, is super meaningful and a brand that really matters. Got it. Awesome. So I guess getting into the revenue side of things, like, are you still... So in in the past, we've talked, you've kind of had this idea of like building a, a Politico for sports, right? So that's a very specific model with a significant subscription product as one of the offerings. Um, you mentioned advertising as as a, at least the initial source of revenue. Um, and I think that's pretty common in media. But I'm curious, like at what your revenue mix is now, like all things considered. 
Yeah, I would say our revenue is still 99% advertising, right? We have a very, very beta version of our pro subscription business that we're just you know, testing, rolling out. We're seeing great early like indicators, right? In the sense that we understand and we know that we can build a product for various industries or that various industries care about this industry, right? So we were just doing some research yesterday and the top industries that have subscribed to the product, media, finance, technology, consulting, retail, marketing, right? Like to me, that seems like a great indicator for us uh, at a very, very base level that this is something that people really, really care about and really want more info into. So at this point, you know, most of our business is still advertising revenue and, and by design, right? Like we, we don't have the infrastructure in place to really build out an enterprise subscription business yet. But the early tests of it, which is what we like to try and do with all of the things that we launch is like test and learn. And so the early test of it is, is showing some really promising signs for us as, as we like say, okay, now we understand where we can invest, what categories people are interested in, how we can really build this out. And it still remains the focus, right? I, th- I think Politico has built an incredible model and an incredible business. And you're starting to see a lot more of this in, in media writ large is that I do think there is a model for uh, a model for a free ad supported experience. And then there's a model for a separate subscription product. And it's interesting because you're starting to see some of these publishers who just basically tried to put a paywall up on their site, taking the paywall down because they've lost out on ad revenue. I think Quartz was the most recent one who talked about that. And so for us, I think, you know, the strategy from a subscription side of things is how do we continue to have a really high quality, super relevant brand? Because we have, you know, again, a free product in newsletters, on site, social, everything like that. And we build so much trust with our core group of audience that we can then sell, you know, a really good, really high quality subscription product too. So, you know, it's going to come and that, that business part, that part of the business is maturing. And I'm really excited by the early signs that we've shown there. But, you know, most of our business at this point is still advertising supported. Got it. What are, I guess, like, what does the pro product kind of look like in these early testing days? Yeah, it's it's really based on research and uh, analysis and uh, some exclusive uh, tools that we have. You know, we have an investor database, a deals database, and we hired a former Goldman analyst to do it for us, right? Because we really want that type of perspective and that type of POV and that person who brings that type of experience. And so they, Liam has been doing an, a really incredible job kind of just being an army of one to sit, set this up and and put it together. And, and again, like I said, we've seen some really good early indicators that this is something that we can build on as we go forward. And so, yeah, really excited about the early progress. I think it can be a big part of our business going forward. And I also saw that you just hired a new chief content officer. Um, yep. I guess what's the... What are some of the specific areas or, or like editorial products that you're really focusing on through that hire that you want to, you know, maybe do a more strategic approach to? Is it is it growing things like the newsletters or is it growing the pro product? Like, what's this role kind of aiming to do? Yeah, it's about everything, quite frankly, right? So her, we have an incredible editorial team from a from an execution and and just understanding of where we want to be and how we want to cover standpoint. Uh, this is really about operationalizing and and connecting the dots between editorial sales, the subscription business, everything like that, right? So we look at obviously the newsletter drives the business right now and is is the big is the biggest area that we're 
that we've invested in and have seen us the most success in the site product is continuing to to be really high quality. Uh, we've seen a lot of really good success there in terms of we're you know we're doing million plus page views a month on the newsletter. We're doing twenty five million opens per month, and on social we're doing you know over two hundred million impressions. Uh, so we're the number one sports publisher on LinkedIn writ large. We're trending on Twitter uh, almost every other day, and so we've seen a ton of great success there. Now it's really about how do we operationalize and package everything, and so. With bringing Lisa on, you start to look at her background, and she's you know was at Adweek for about ten years and a few other places before then, and so her real remit is like okay. You know, how do we take the newsletter to the next level? How do we take the site to the next level? How do we bring our content to life through events? That's an area that we haven't really done much of. We we tested and saw early success pre-pandemic, haven't gotten back to that. So how can we find more success and, and start to build out and bring our editorial product to life through events? You look at the pro business. Um, you look at some of the other opportunities from a podcast standpoint that we can look into. So realistically, the focus continues to remain on delivering best-in-class content across our newsletter, our site, and our social, and then having her be able to operationalize and work with a cross-functional team that is saying, okay, we have an incredible newsletter, we have an incredible site, we have incredible social channels. How can we find ways to work with the sales team to package things around key tentpole moments, et cetera, et cetera? Like Title IX is a big opportunity that we're working on right now uh, that we're focused on. How do we package a, a Title IX um, opportunity for brands across social newsletters, events, et cetera? So that's really been kind of her first step is just evaluating. And then how do we build out, you know, what would be a true content flywheel across all of those various elements and her sitting at the middle of that and making sure she's directing traffic and helping us build out those products. Quickly for people who might not be familiar with Title IX, could you just quickly define what that was? Yeah, yeah. So Title IX is, uh, you know, it was a a law slash, um, you know, guidance put into place that essentially laid out the desire slash requirements to have equal uh, investment in both women's sports and men's sports. So it's it's most prevalent really at the at the college athletic level, right? Like it, you have to have if you have you have to have basically the same amount of resources given to women's sports, same amount of scholarships given to women's sports, uh, same amount of opportunity given to women's sports, and you know it start it percolates other elements of the um, society, but it's really more so focused on college athletics, and that's where you see the biggest impact. Got it. So you mentioned that for that um, example, that there's this like editorial package or, or push, you know, cross platform around that. Is that kind of a, a strategy you're taking from, you know, building out the different um, products that you are focused on? Like, is this kind of um, thematic package something like a model that's that's worked well for you in that regard? Yeah, I mean, we see a lot of brands interested in that stuff, right? Because they're already, brands are already investing in those spaces, right? So if there's another opportunity for them to align with those key messaging points, that's huge, right? Sustainability obviously is a massive conversation right now. That's an area where brands are coming to us for. So I, I think that's the that's the biggest thing is it's it's we have an audience that reacts to our content and then how do we build it in a way that the brands are already associating it from a tenfold standpoint. So that's how, that's how we focus some of it. And it's really, again, like obviously newsletter is our bread and butter and that's what our focus is. And I arguably say we're one of the top, you know, newsletter first publishers per se there, but it's really about how do we build a multi-platform media brand? We have so much success on social. We have really a lot of success on the site for a, a business our size and obviously a ton of success on, on newsletters. And so again, if we want to build a, a Politico of sports, if you look at Politico's success, they have a great O&O website business. They have a great newsletter business. They have a great subscription business. And you start to think about, okay, if that is still 
you know, our approach, which it is, and, and we believe deeply that we can, we can execute on, then we need to be able to take that approach going forward. And we also need to provide those solutions for our brand partners, right? Like you look at Fidelity, who's one of our biggest partners right now. Uh, we built an entire custom content series with them around um, athletes and their second acts. And we're going to do another extension of that here at the back half of the year, a second season, right? So these big brands that you wouldn't normally see, I would say, in what would be more of a, a prosumer media brand are, are coming to us and saying, hey, how do we reach your audience in, in creative ways? And you know, for us to be able to do that in, in a way that's super meaningful is we have to be able to ex- execute on this multi-platform approach while not overextending ourselves. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back. You mentioned newsletters a few times. How many um, different newsletters do you have right now? Yeah, so we have, you know, our core, we have three on a daily basis. And then we have a Saturday and Sunday one. We have basically a million active subscribers. So that's, you know, people who've opened in the last 30 days. So it's not total list size or anything like that. So we're really excited about the the strength of that of that list and the, and the health of that list and the engagement that we're seeing on that side of things. But yeah, it's been our bread and butter, right? The the native in inbox newsletter, uh, very similar to what you've seen with the Axioses of the world, the Morning Brews, people like that who've done a great job at sort of pioneering that that model. And I mean, even the Politicos, right, if we go back to them. And so our fundamental belief, and we've we've started to bang this from the, the rooftops, is that the inbox is the new homepage, right? In many ver- various ways, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the conversation that we're having with brands is that, you know, I always ask people, hey, when was the last time you went to ESPN.com for an example, and they're like, I, I don't remember. And then I say, when is the last time you're, uh, you checked your email? And you know, they're, sometimes they're like, I'm checking my email right now as part of this conversation. I just checked it two seconds ago or five minutes ago. And so that's the real whole pitch. And I think why you're seeing a lot of success with you know, newsletter first brands is that they're reaching their audience, decision makers, in their inbox where they're making decisions, right? Like every single day you make most of your decisions realistically if you're if you're in a working white collar profession in your email and in your inbox. And so to have that content that's relevant alongside of that is super powerful. And that's where we've seen a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of excitement from brands is that they want to reach our audience at a place where they're making decisions, they're thinking about things in a way that's not, you know, pop-ups everywhere or anything like that is you know completely native. And so I guess like what's the breakdown in the advertising deals that you have that are newsletter, you know, ads versus on-site ads? Like is there, you know, a, a heavy focus on the newsletter advertising business? Yep. Yeah, I mean, look, newsletters are delivery method, right? So it's a part of every every package we sign, whether it's an uh, our learning business, right, which has been a, a huge success for us in the education space, uh, professional education space. And so that's been a huge success for us. And there's newsletter distribution through that. So essentially, I, I always like to tell people, like, think of the newsletter as if you would a site, right? It's just another way to distribute media, distribute messaging, distribute content, everything like that. So newsletter plays a main role in everything, right? Like I would say, you you look at our custom activations and everything like that. Right now, our newsletter revenue probably makes up eighty percent of our our revenue on a month over month basis, and you know probably twenty percent of our our revenue is associated to other elements and other line items like the site, like custom activations, like social, like branded content, like white papers, webinars, things like that. So it's it's the main driver, right? And we have the opportunity to really work closely with brands from a, a timing standpoint, uh, a messaging standpoint around key moments, right? Like again, tent poles, the NFL schedule release just happened 
this week. And so there's a lot of brands who want to align with the NFL schedule release. And here's the opportunity to be in the inbox the day the schedule release happens, right? So those are the things that we're talking to. And as we start to get ahead of a lot of the planning cycles, now we're talking about college football and the NFL. And, you know, we're talking to brands, you know, like Cisco and, um, and Verizon and all of those types of things who are already aligned with those moments, but want to have another opportunity to align with those moments through us. And so you mentioned your learning business and we've talked about this in the past too. I think I wrote a story about it, um, maybe a year ago now. I mean, time is just flying. Um, yeah, yeah. I think when it was we like launched a year the Pepsi, ago. when we launched the Pepsi course. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit through the learning program and, you know, what the aim is for, actual like readers, like the audience, but then also, yep. you know, the brand side of it. Yeah. So our whole kind of tagline with the learning business is it's basically professional education at the at the speed of culture, right? Everything moves so fast right now and there's so much going on. Our approach was like, wait a second, can we create something where we can provide truly a professional education opportunity that's online, that's go at your own pace, and that we can bring brands into. Pepsi took our took the first stab at it for us and with us, and it was great. We had over 10,000 people enroll in that class, which is like absolutely insane on in that course. Average time spent was two hours, which is amazing. I always now go to brands and I say, when was the last time you know for a fact that someone spent two hours engaged with your content? It's, it's almost impossible. There's no other type of uh, there's no other type of partnership really in the market, in my opinion, where a brand is like a person is spending two hours with a brand. And obviously, it's not just branded content. There's a whole educational aspect. There's a quiz aspect. It really feels like a an online education um, certificate because it's meaningful. And then at the end, all of the people who take the course get online certification, digital badges that if you were to go on LinkedIn and see have been shared thousands of pounds, thousands of time they're in their certification thing and everything like that. And so it was great. The Pepsi one was a smash hit. Facebook then signed on for one smash hit. Uh, we have Ticketmaster running right now, which is amazing. Coinbase is launching here shortly. Uh, Facebook saw so much success in the first one. They're coming back for another one. I expect us to probably do probably six to eight more potentially with some of the conversations that we have ongoing right now. And it's one of those other key trends that we identified is all of these brands want to be brands that can help educate, brands that can provide education. And so you can mix that with the opportunity that people are sharing it. And it's like a true thought leadership opportunity. These brands are bringing in other partners, right? Pepsi brought in their agency partners, Genesco, et cetera, into this. And I mean, realistically, if we do our job, I, I would expect us to have probably north of 100,000 people enrolled across all of our courses by the end of this year, uh, which is which is crazy. And then we start to see there, you know, of those hundred thousands who have, who have enrolled, how many other have enrolled in two courses and then three courses? And then there's a self-selection there of, wait a second, if we have 25,000 people who've, in, who've enrolled in three courses, are, is there a paid course we can roll out to them? And, and that's where we start to think about what are the more lower funnel opportunities. And what's beautiful, again, as we say about the professional education at the speed of culture, is that no offense to colleges, but they just can't move that fast. We can have a course up in six to 10 weeks. So a new trend happens like crypto. We can build a course in six to 10 weeks and we can have people learning about crypto and its implications in sports and sports adjacent industries in 10 weeks. And in colleges, you're going to have to wait probably two years, three years, like because of textbooks, approval processes, everything like that. And so that's for us is where the advantage is. And 
I think at the end of the day, for anyone who's listening and, and is wants to explore some of these things, I, I think you just have to make sure that you have a brand that people trust, a brand that matters, and a brand that people are willing to spend, you know, an hour or two hours with that then they're going to post on their LinkedIn about and say like, cause that's the other thing too, is like it's validation for those people. And if you don't have a brand that's strong enough, it's, it's not going to be something that works out. And so luckily we have a brand that's strong enough that we've had so much success there. And I think again, what's beautiful about the product is if you do it in the right way, which we've kind of approached this is it's not a 101 and it's not like a 303. So if you're thinking about classes in a, in a traditional college setting, 101 is intro, 303 is more advanced. We're saying like, this is like a 202 level education. And what's beautiful about that is obviously we get younger professionals and students and things like that. Like these courses have become written into syllabuses at colleges, which is amazing. But then we also have directors, VP level CEOs who are taking these classes because they want to know about this stuff. And it's cross-functional, cross-industry. We're seeing it people in the entertainment industry taking these classes. We're seeing people in the sports, technology, finance, things like that, which is, again, a lot of indication for us around the paid product, which we talked about earlier. So that's why we're so bullish on the course product is that the brands love it, our audience loves it, and it really provides the opportunity for everyone to get something out of it. Brands have thought leadership out of it. Obviously, we have a product that we can monetize, uh, but then also there's a ton of validation for us on LinkedIn too because everyone is sharing it with our brand front and center. Yeah, and so to clarify, these aren't like reader revenue opportunities. Like the audience isn't paying to do this course, but they're participating in it. Okay, correct. Yeah, yeah. So we 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 wanted to keep the friction extremely low, right? And now, like I said, there's a self selection, hopefully, of people who have taken two, three, four courses, five courses, six courses by the end of this year. And if that's the case, then we believe that those groups of people will definitely probably pay for a course uh, eventually if we if we want to roll out a paid offering as well. But the whole idea is to limit the amount of friction as possible, create as much opportunity for everyone. And that's always kind of been our mission is just how do we provide opportunity insights and in a way that is is available for as many people as possible. And and it's, you know, it's been beneficial and and we're able to, you know, quite frankly, probably make more money selling it to a brand than we would trying to sell it on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially for just starting out as well. Um, yeah. So from a, from a brand perspective, you mentioned that, um, Facebook or, or Meta is coming back um, and renewing to do another, you know, course. Um, but is this like one of the biggest products that you can now offer? Like, is this where you're seeing the biggest dollar signs for one partnership, or is you know that still newsletters? Like, how does this kind of rank in the mix? Yeah, I mean, our education business is definitely one of our biggest business lines at this point, right? And we we just transitioned into a new technology partner, so the the margins are extremely strong for us, right? There's a lot that goes into it, right? There's a whole custom. I mean, if you go on and look at, there's a whole custom approach to it. We have to film everything, we post produce everything, and everything like that. So the margins are strong, the opportunities are strong, and again, the engagement and the success of the previous courses allow us to charge what we do from a brand standpoint. And, and we, now we have, you know, five case studies um, going on almost, yeah, going on almost five case studies now uh, of brands that have seen success with it. And so that just makes it easier for us in market. But again, there is an element of newsletter as part of this, right? And everything like that. So yes, we're seeing the custom things with, as everyone probably does, they, they're, they're sexy, they're shiny, they're getting a lot of attention, they're getting a lot of the dollars, 
but the newsletter remains the fundamental distribution part of this because we couldn't get 10,000 people to sign to enroll in the Pepsi product if we didn't have the newsletter and we didn't have the site and we didn't have our social channel. So it all kind of feeds into each mm-hmm. other. The first one had had, um, I think you said 10,000. That was the Pepsi, the first uh, course yep. that you did. Has that number been pretty like steady from course to course? Yeah, I, I think it depends on the on the course topic, right? You know, a much broader course like sports marketing, you know, that 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 makes sense, right? It's massive, right? We just uh, we had the the Facebook one that did, I think, it's closing in on seven thousand enrollments, um, and, and that's more focused on uh, athlete marketing, right? Which is a little bit more of a uh, of a niche area, and then we just did a, one with Ticketmaster that I believe it, it, you know, we will probably see at least five thousand people or more uh, enroll in that course. But it's it's more on ticketing again, a little bit niche. Mm-hmm. But you we we estimate at least on a given course that we'll have thirty five hundred enrollments minimum at this point because now we're starting to build a base of people, right? Like like I said, hopefully we'll have a hundred thousand by the end of the end of the year who have enrolled in the the courses. And if and if that's the case, then you know, we roll out a course to those people. We at least hope that, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30% of those people are going to take it. Well, then we're already over, uh, you know, 3000 immediately. So that's, that's going to be where it compounds, right? As we start to build out this whole core function and whole whole core group that have self-identified them as people who are interested in professional education. And now we can promote more courses to those people. And then we'll start to see more and more of them take them. Cause again, Two hours, really straightforward opportunity to learn and provides them, you know, that digital certification. So we've already seen people who've taken all three of the courses and some people will do all three of them in a weekend, which is, which is amazing. So yeah, uh, you know, I think it will probably be steady around that. And as I, as we continue to grow, I would expect the average, you know, enrollment course class cohort, I guess, if you want to say it would probably look closer to 5,000 to 7,000. But again, more broad, like the crypto one with Coinbase. I think that's going to be huge, right? I think that's going to be, you know, a 10,000 or probably just because, again, it's a much broader topic. Uh, but that's the nice thing is we have the ability to go really broad and we have the ability to go much more, um, you know, focused. Yeah. How much of those courses are editorial products from like a, a standpoint of selecting the topic or um, getting, you know, I guess organizing the the course material too and the, and the people who are like contributing to them, you know, at what point does it feel like branded content versus like an editorial product. Yeah, so it, it's definitely on the on the branded side of things, right? Like, but we work with them to deliver what we believe is going to be most impactful for our audience, right? So we'll work with them. We'll set up the whole entire um, lesson plan. We'll set up the topics. We'll work with them to pull in the right speakers. Them being the brand to pull in the right speakers, everything like that. And we make it very clear to them. We say we don't want this to be an ad for you. Like this is truly a lesson for our audience, not an ad for you. Obviously, it's your product you're talking about. It's your uh, partners you're talking about is things like that. So totally awesome. With the Ticketmaster course, we um, they brought in their partners at the Seattle Kraken. They brought in their partners at Snap, and they brought, you know Coinbase brought in partners, Pepsi brought in partners, Facebook brought in partners, and so it's great because there's that type of cross functional conversation. But it really is supposed to be focused on like this is a lesson. So don't make it a commercial, right? Don't make it an ad. Make this something actionable, something people can learn from, something people can take away, and and people really buy into that, which is which is super beneficial because they trust us to deliver that. And so that's definitely been something that we've been you know really excited about, uh, just because you know. Yes, is it's branded content, but it doesn't feel like an ad. It feels like something that you're actually being taught in a way that is supposed to help you in in your career, not 
just be something where you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm just literally watching an ad for name brand here. Got it. Got it. And so you mentioned that you're also with this able to kind of identify this um, cohort of people who might be more inclined to pay, maybe eventually would, you know, move over to the like pro side of the business. Um, I'm curious, like at this point, after, you know, the first round of um, testing that you've done, like how many people are currently paying for the pro product? And are they mostly like these enterprise kind of subscriptions of like coming from businesses? Or do you have like individuals that are that are paying? Yeah, we've we've positioned it as mostly individuals, right? So that's that's where it's at. It's it's something where again, like, we're focused less on the amount of people and more on the quality of people, right? Perfect example, the commissioner of major league soccer is someone who is who is subscribed the person who runs um, sports at Microsoft is someone who is subscribed. Multiple private equity funds, Goldman Sachs. Thing. Like we're, we're focused on the brands that have subscribed because again, like it's really just, we haven't done a ton of marketing around it. We, we're not at a place where we believe it's an enterprise level product, but we wanted to get the insights into who would do it. And we're seeing great engagement, right? It's directors, it's CEOs, it's, um, it's senior managers, right? Like there's engagement across the I would say the professional ladder. And then there's also engagement cross-functionally from an industry standpoint. Like I said, our biggest industry right now is media and then it's finance and then it's technology. And so, okay, well now that really in- indicates where we can go deeper into. So yeah, that's that's our focus for right now. And so I also want to talk about the investment from Crane because that is in you know a bigger publisher that's come in and, and you're now working with them. Um, I think that was a 20% stake for 25 million. Um, $25 million valuation. Yeah. 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 So I guess how has that investment or that, you know, partnership with Crane helped from more of an operational standpoint? Like obviously they have some um, internal, you know, organization like positions maybe that you don't have access to right now, like from your 40 person team. What's the, you know, I guess investment from Crane mean for your growth as a company? Yeah. I mean, look, they're amazing partners. We love working with them. They're uh, incredibly easy to work with, right? It's It's been a family business, right? So they're people who understand media. They understand the opportunity that that we have presented with us. And so we're just now figuring out the, the cross-functional stuff, right? The, the investment happened in February, right? So it's only been a couple of months. Everyone's trying to grow. Everyone's trying to go through everything. So, you know, we've been talking with their other brands about is there opportunities to do uh, cross-promotional events, right? Um, where we're showing up at tent poles with potentially ad age at the Super Bowl, for example, right? We're starting to talk about uh, cross-promotion from a content standpoint. How can they pull in our content to their various publications, things like that. So, you know, it's really been focused more so on, let's just start to build the relationship. And now how can we start to find ways that are, um, you know, super valuable, right? Obviously, I've talked to every single one of their brands about our course product and how they can potentially implement it. I've talked to every single one of their brands about our newsletter technology and how they can potentially implement it. So a lot of idea sharing, a lot of cross-functional conversations with the hope that, you know, as we start to look into the back half of the year, as everyone has grown, the team is settled in is because we've made a bunch of hires, then we can take advantage of, you know, bigger, larger opportunities. Got it. Awesome. And so I guess in the next year, maybe, what are some other areas that you're particularly looking to grow in? So like the the, the learning business is obviously a really big initiative. You know, it's a great brand opportunity. It requires, I'm sure, a decent amount of like lift in that regard as well. But what are some other like 
areas of investment or, um, you know, growth that you're really targeting for, you know, this maybe next era of, of front office sports? Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about a few areas already. The newsletter is going to continue to be a core part of our product. Uh, I think obviously the site is going to be continue to be a core part of our product. Subscription business, you know, as the enterprise, as, as we really build that out, is going to be a core part of our our product. And so, you know, I think those are those are the focus. We have a true foundation in place. Now it's really just about how do we build off that foundation, right? So I do think events will be a big thing. We have a, a good, a, a, you know, a, a decent award business right now. I do think that's going to be something. But, you know, as, as everyone is probably noticing, there's a lot more brands who want to be back in person and want to do events who are interested in all of these things. And we're seeing that, right? Brands are coming to us. Hey, what's your event schedule look like? Where are you doing? What are you doing? And so that'll be a big initiative for us probably in the back half of the year that Lisa, the, you know, the new chief content officer will help play a key role in and What's nice is we have had, again, tested events and what they look like and we know what works. And so we're going to take on on that, I think, is going to be something that in the back half of the year that we look to, to take advantage of. So, you know, you start to think about, like, how do you have a, a true diversified media business? And, and we all know what that looks like. It's newsletters, it's site, it's membership, it's events, it's awards, it's podcasts, right? And, and other areas like that, that I think we can find investment opportunities that we haven't really yet taken advantage of. Uh, but luckily, the the brand at this point is extremely strong, and that's been a huge focus for us. And, you know, the newsletter is extremely strong. The site is in a good spot. Social is in a really good spot. And so now we have the foundation in place. How can we start to bring our audience into different areas, right? We always talk about this hub and spoke model, right? The hub is the front office sports brand. It's the newsletter. It's the site. If that stuff and social, if that stuff is extremely strong day in and day out, we can move our audience into different spokes per se. One of those spokes being learning, one of those spokes being awards, one of those spokes being subscription, one of those spokes being membership, one of those spokes being events, right? And then you start to think about, okay, then that that broadens the the business for us. So that's that's going to be the approaches. Okay, we believe the the hub is in a really good spot. We have a few spokes that are that are doing really well. Where are other spokes that we can take advantage? How can we strengthen the other spokes? How can we strengthen the hub and and go from there? Got it. All right, and then final question for you to round out um, this episode. I'm am curious, like where Front Office Sports kind of sits right now from a profitability standpoint. Obviously, you just got investment, um, you know, from Crane, but you've launched a bunch of other new products in the past year, like we talked about. Um, you know, what's the kind of status in terms of you know revenue and profitability for the company? Yeah, I mean, look, all things considering, with with as long as the market is not too turbulent the rest of the year, right? Because everyone's looking at that and everyone's talking about that right now. You know, I expect us to do into the the eight figures of revenue and be profitable pretty easily. So, um, you know, again, luckily we haven't overextended ourselves. We haven't um, gone too crazy with an initiatives, and we've been hopefully placing bets in the right categories and places. And, you know, I think we're seeing a ton of deal flow from a sponsorship side of things for back half of the year for Q3 and Q4 already. And so, yeah, we're really excited about the position of the business, the strength of the business. And like I said, I expect, you know, revenue to be in the eight figures this year and and to be profitable um, pretty easily. So, again, as we just have to continue to execute and do our jobs, right? We can sit here and say that, that that's going to happen. But you just have to continue to execute as every media operator knows it's not it's not a given and it's not going to be something that just happens and so really excited about the hires we have on the sales side of things with Lisa coming in and a lot of her relationships so the future of the business is extremely bright and I think as long as we do what we need to do and continue to execute there uh, we should be in a really good spot come the end of 2022 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Adam, for coming on the podcast and really getting in deep to how you're growing your, your company. It's been really fascinating. Thank you. Awesome. Appreciate you having me. It was great. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. 